Well, welcome in to what is another bonus episode of Husker Sports Weekly, where this week, after breaking down the Girls' State Basketball Tournament with Mike Patterson just a short week ago, it is time to dive into the Boys' State Basketball Tournament here in Nebraska. I'm Grant Hansen, and you can find me on Twitter at Hansen15 underscore Hansen. And today, I'm joined on Husker Sports Weekly by the great Stu Pospisil, partner in crime with Mike Patterson over at the Prep Sports Desk of the Omaha World Herald. Welcome, Stu. Thanks, Grant. Glad to be here. Well, you know, you think back as, as we get ready to start into this tournament, you think back to a year ago, Stu, March 11th, and in many ways it was the day that the sports world really stood still, both locally uh, and nationally. And, and you think back and you think, man, that day started with you had a couple of players, or I'm sorry, a couple of fans, I think from Crofton, testing positive at, for COVID-19 after the Girls' State Basketball Tournament the weekend before. The NSAA starts to readjust some of its schedules uh, in terms of do they allow fans and they not allow fans. And then that night, the NBA shuts down. Fred Hoiberg gets sick on the bench, gets pulled out of the game. And in so many ways, the world that we woke up to on Monday morning that week was nothing like what we woke up to on Thursday. Talk about what that week was like for you looking back now on it a year later and what covering that state tournament was like without any fans. Well, I remember Wednesday, that Wednesday morning, the NSAA had a regularly scheduled meeting, and I'm driving down, and I'm hearing about the Crofton fan and thinking this is not going to be good. And then you're saying through the NSAA meeting, and there actually there was a, um, a presentation on uh, diversity and concerns with um, fan behavior, I think it was from Lexington, and that really got lost in the entire shuffle because the whole narrative's changing by the minute in this in this boardroom. And you know, I wasn't necessarily going to be at that meeting, but I went down there and it turned into a 13, 14, 15 hour day. I mean, I'm I'm in there in the NSAA um, uh, meeting room, their little auditorium with the NSAA staff, Jay Beller's meeting with the uh, mayor and the and this press conference and what what still bugs me a little bit is the city of Lincoln allowed a concert to go on that Wednesday night and they tell the NSAA they have to change everything the next day that that still sticks in my craw that okay things aren't quite on equity wise on the whole but that aside you know the NSAA is making decisions on the fly um, you know, they decide to keep going with the tourney. Most states did not do that, or they pulled the plug midstream. I mean, there were games kind of like the the Nebraska game or the Creighton game where they just pulled the plug at halftime on, on ga- state tournament games elsewhere. Um, but the NSAA, uh, in consultation with, with Lincoln uh, officials, decide that they can proceed with the state tourney with all these modifications and then you get NCN, News Channel Nebraska, because the, the Lincoln official said, oh, we're, we're, all the games are going to be on television. You're going to be able to watch them. Well, n- nothing was set up that way. So they, uh, Mike Flood and his News Channel Nebraska stepped in, paid an exorbitant sum of money to the National Federation because they, the Federation holds the rights for the, everything but the finals. So all the games got on. Um, either free streaming or on the news channel, Nebraska channels. And that was probably a godsend from having a lot of upset people 
who at the last minute can't go to Lincoln and be in the arenas. Uh, kudos to the NSAA after that. I know they felt, you know, there was an anvil hanging over their heads, hanging over the tourney every single minute, you know, saying there as a reporter, you're thinking every time you see Jay Bellard leave the arena with the phone to his ear, that we could, we could be stopped. And, you know, somehow I, I don't know how much the governor's office played into it. Uh, but we've got, we got the tourney done. We got all, all six classes done on that Saturday night. And then really we have no high school activities then until uh, the resumption in June of, of limited weight room workouts. So it was a week I'll never forget, Grant. Uh, you know, it, uh, I, I, I'm glad I was there to chronicle it, but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll stick with me forever. Well, and then now you think about, in contrast, what we've seen this year from the NSAA, and I'll read this stat. Andy Kendi broke this. Uh, he later tweeted it out, but first talked about it on the NET broadcast at the Girls' State Tournament on Saturday. But roughly 3,200 girls' basketball games were played in Nebraska. 97.6% of those games were actually fully played from scheduled. Uh, great work by the NSAA, especially when you think back to even the beginning of this season for the winter sports where you had the NSAA being forced out of Lincoln again and you had for the football uh, championship games and then you had the shift in, in terms of the Lincoln area schools not being able to start. I mean, the fact that we've even made it this far would have seemed crazy in November. You know, I was still optimistic. I, I figured the state tourneys were going to be played somehow. I think a lot of the credit has to go to the schools for – and, and the teams for doing a lot of the right things to try and stay in bubbles. You know, I heard a lot of coaches say, you know, we preach to our kids, you know, you go to school, you go to practice, you go home, you stay there. You, you, you don't go socializing. You don't go to the mall. You don't, you know, get together after, after games. And, you know, these kids have been through a lot in this past year. You think of how much they've missed, uh, you know, the emotional strain and, uh, you know, at least for the athletes, they've gotten some type of normal back. And I think overall statewide, again, we're better off than some states. And even those who have had the most restrictions placed on them, these teenagers, I think we're seeing normalcy start to creep back in. And I certainly felt that last week in, in Lincoln at the state tourney. Well, let's talk a little bit about last week. Uh, you know, one thing that has really changed because of COVID-19 has been this expanded tournament schedule. Starting on Tuesday instead of the usual Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What are your thoughts? What are you hearing on the ground on that? Do you like it personally as a journalist? Uh, what, what do you think the NSAA thinks of the schedule? Do you think it sticks? I don't think a five-day tourney sticks, but I think if there's a pandemic silver lining to these tourneys, I think, I hope, that we get to a long desired four day state tourney and we don't play in high school gyms because I mean, you, you talk to anybody past who has played in state tourneys, it is not a great deal to be playing cl class D two basketball at Lincoln East. I'm sorry. It's not a treat. You know, we've got enough good gyms across the state now and holiday tourneys and things like that. It's not special to be playing at a class A gym. It is special to be playing at Devaney. It is very special to be playing at, at Pinnacle. 
this week to certainly maximize attendance because Pinnacle Bank can seat minimum 5,000. They're saying maybe 6,200 when you go up into the upper rafters. Uh, and I hope we get to see the capacity ta taxed and tested this week with, with some of these great games potentially in store that they had to use Pinnacle Bank the most they could. So that's why we've got five game, or five days of six games a day there. That's 30 of the 42 games. It will be very easy next year to go to a four-day tourney if Devaney's in play, and it should be because we won't have uh, the, the college bubble that uh, really restricted even having fans at state swimming, uh, which was not allowed. Uh, you can't even be in the track arena. And you won't have Husker volleyball playing in the spring, so you won't. John Cook won't need his uh, uh, Palace of Devaney Center, <clears throat> excuse me, for games or practices. So you can play all 42 games in arenas over four days, and I think that's what the NSAA staff is hoping for. I'm hoping that the the superintendents in the state and the um, NSAA board see the wisdom of that, that, um, you know, you're trying to give the, the kids the best experience. And I, I think a four day journey is where we're headed and, and at long last. Well, you know, we look at the district round is before we get into breaking down each of these class by class and a lot of crazy stories came out of that district round. You had basically Winnebago 2.0 and Blair driving all the way across the state as a 16 seed and knocking off Alliance. That was a big one. You had Central who got upset and Lincoln Pius who both got upset in Class A and only one of those two teams could make it into the state tournament on a wild card. A lot of interesting stories at play. What was the biggest one to you in the district round? Oh, I think it was the um, uh, Class A night of the of the upset where, you know, one, two, and three, Bellevue West, Prep, and Miller North all one handily. And then it just became a, a muddled mess. Um, I watched Papio, uh, La Vista lose to Millard South, 35-34. Uh, One basket with six seconds left rattles in. Papio's answer rattles out. Uh, Pius, which is in a shooting slump, lost to Lincoln East. I, I had seen East uh, play the district semifinal with Southeast and first time to see both teams. I'm thinking Carter Glenn's really good. And Lincoln East, Jeff Campbell, is such a good coach. He doesn't have a great deal of talent behind Carter, but he's gotten this team in the state tourney, and I don't see them beating Bellevue West uh, since West beat them by 30 the first time and not that long ago. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a great night uh, for the underdog. And, you know, maybe the secondary story in Class B is uh, kind of how down the Western teams were. You know, you, we've gone to this district format of, of repairing after uh, sub-districts. We don't have a team west of 9th Street in Lincoln in the state tourney this year in Class B. And that's a first. And, you know, there's people, or oh, you're anti-Western. No, I'm anti-having blowouts in the first round of state. I want the eight best teams to get to Lincoln and everybody else should in a class. And... You know, when, when you play it off and Blair goes out to Alliance and wins, honestly, that was no surprise. I know Elkhorn North was certainly hoping to go out to Alliance, and I think they would have beaten Alliance as well. You know, Alliance had a good team throughout that way. 
But you know what? They lost by 47 to Omaha Scott in a, in a replacement game that uh, wasn't widely reported except by us. And, you know, that was an indication of me back in December that the Western teams are going to struggle. And I saw Waverly and Scott's Bluff. And Scott's Bluff was thrilled to make the district final because they lost so much. So it was just a down year for the West. The East teams, um, I think that will help with attendance back here. Um you know, when those B games are played at Pankle Bank Arena because it's all close travel. Well, you know, what, what do you think, think the solution is really? For, is, is it just the West was down this year? Or, or how do you think, think that gets fixed? fixed? It, it's just down. And, and again, it should not be geographical representation. That's the beauty of the, the district final concept is you're taking the 16 survivors of sub-districts, the 12 sub-district winners and four wild cards, repairing them by by the the point standings and there's no wild card it, it's basically a first round state matchup it's a, an expanded state turning field and the eight survivors uh, come to lincoln you know western nebraska we've had good teams out there alliance has won state titles scott's bluff has won state titles and been to multiple finals it, it was just a down year and even even in the midsection aurora had a coaching change during the year that that certainly uh disrupted them and and your your lexington's your mccook's um a lot of the central conference it just it, it was not their year i think a lot of them were young and i think teams like crete and york um you know next year they could very well be in the in the championship mix seward too uh trevor minky's doing a nice job there and they came on strong second half of the year after not winning a game i think until mid-january well, let's hop in class by class here, Stu, and break it down. Uh, we'll go, if you could give a top story for the class, uh, a dark horse, and a favorite. We'll start in class D2 and work our way up. Here's your matchup. St. Mary's, the one, faces Osceola at the eight. Parkview Christian and Loomis are the 4v5. Uh, all these games are at Lincoln East, by the way. Mullen and Fall City Sacred Heart is your 2 and 7. And then Humphrey St. Francis and Why Not is your 3v6. Well, I think the story is how even um, things are in uh, D2, where you have last year's finalists, um, Humphrey St. Francis and Sacred Heart. I'm not picking them to win in the first round. Um, you've, you've got a solid Mullen team that I saw uh, on TV at the Heartland Hoops Classic. Uh, why not beat St. Francis? They're matched up again. I, I think it's it's a balanced field. Um Taking a look, my uh, sleeper is Loomis, which lost to um, uh, Mullen at the Heartland Hoops. Uh, they're a very good team. Uh, you know, they draw Parkview Christian. That's going to be a very interesting first-round matchup. And um, uh, what was the last part? Oh, a champion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with Parkview Christian. I think they've got enough talent that uh, – uh, they're going to uh, win a first state title. They've been close a couple times before. A uh, lot of good scoring talent. And, um, you know, I, I think they've got the better side of the bracket. I think the bottom half of the bracket's very tough. 25-1 and one is Parkview Christian, the most wins in, of any of the fi eight finalists in class. D2, moving up to D1, your number one seed, Burwell, faces Central Valley. Howells Dodge and Watt Hill are your four and five. Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family versus Southern Valley. There's your two seven. 
And then MPSP and Ainsley Litchfield are your three six. Well, I think the story there is Walt Hill having uh, gone out to see them beat uh, Elm Creek at the um, uh, district final at, at uh, Stromsburg across the county. Um, was um, very impressed with their talent. Uh, they're going to have to uh, guard against foul trouble that they've heard severe foul trouble against uh, Elm Creek, and yet they were able to uh, pull that game out. Um, the Blue Jays are going to take on Howells Dodge, which will be a very physical team in the first round. Uh, I, I like Howells Dodge, but, um, you know, we saw with uh, Winnebago's girls that uh, Resball uh, could be a winner, and I, I think that's a very interesting first round matchup. Uh, as far as a a sleeper, uh, I did pick Walt Hill. And for a champion, I've got uh, Burwell, um, which has uh, not been to a state finals in 60 years. 61 is their last time. I think the Longhorns, which uh, did not get the state title in football, they lost in overtime to um, Dundee County Stratton. I think that the state title comes here in basketball over a very good Humphrey Lindsay Holy family team. Well, in Burwell at 24-0, only undefeated team there in D1. Let's move up to C2, and things get really interesting here. GICC, a lot of size, and man, I really don't know, can anyone compete with that size at this level? Of course, UTAN the two, team that's been there before, and same with BRLD, a team that could also potentially go on a run. You, you talk about being there and how important that is just in general, even at the collegiate level. But you rarely see it at the high school level where you have a guy in BRLD's Lucas Vote who's been here so many times, literally at the state tournament, just about as much as you could uh, in your high school career. It's an interesting field in C2. D does, does anyone have the size to compete with GICC? I don't think so. I'm, I'm going with GICC. They also play such a, a tough schedule. I just, um, I'm writing my capsules as we speak. They were 1-1 against Class A. 5-0 and against Class B, including a win over Scott, and 6-3 and against C1. So they Tino Martinez schedules them tough, uh, as well he should. I mean, they're a perennial power, and they are just battle-tested. And they're going to go, I think, all the way to the finals against BRLD, the defending champion. Like you said, Lucas Vogt, Dylan Beitler is leading um, the Wolverines in scoring. Here, here's what's sad, Grant, unfortunately. Those two schools, uh, Bancroft, Rosalie, and Lions Decatur, may break up their athletic uh, uh, relationship after this year and go off on their own, in part because that they might have to move up to C1 in some sports. And since when is growth bad? Uh, sleeper in this class um, would be Freeman. Uh, they play Harrington CC in the first round. Um, you know, it, it's been a little hard to gauge Freeman uh, in Southeast Nebraska. They're one of the larger uh, schools playing in the Pioneer Conference and, and a lot of Pioneer Conference schools and some ECNC um, down that way. Uh, you know, they could, they could uh, they're on a late season roll. They could, uh, uh, you know, uh, go quite far or at least to CGICC in the semis well let's look uh at C1 now and this class is another really interesting one you have Auburn and Pierce is your first round Concordia Milford 4v5 
is game two. Game three is Carney Catholic and Wayne, and then Adam Central St. Paul. That potential uh, Adam Central Carney Catholic matchup for the semifinals really intriguing. And then especially on the other side too, you know, I in, in my book you see a team in Concordia who not a lot of people picked to be here, not a lot of people picked to to ever really be th- as good as they were this year and have been this year. But Coach Kulis at Concordia knew this year was going to be his year. And, in fact, I don't even think this year will be his year. I would say next year would be his year uh, for the Mustangs. They take on Milford in the first round, and I really like them to move on and face off against Auburn in a rematch because I don't think Milford has played as tough of a schedule as a lot of the teams in this in this bracket. And then, of course, you also probably have what is probably the biggest prevailing storyline in Auburn going for its third straight title. Yeah, actually, I'm looking for an Auburn-Milford undefeated matchup in the semifinals, Grant. I've seen both teams. Uh, Yes, Concordia's probably played a a better schedule overall, but um, Milford uh, is more physical uh, than Concordia. Uh, Jackson Wayand, a son of uh, one of those Wahoo greats from the 1990s, Uh, Joel, uh, transferred over from Creek, gives them 17 points a game. Uh, they've got Milford has good size. I, I saw Milford play Lincoln Christian in a sub district. Uh, great, great game. Final. that was a great, a great one. one. And then I I saw Concordia uh, play uh, up at the uh, sub district at uh, Fort Cal- or at uh, Arlington a couple days before. Like Concordia too, but I, I I'm thinking Milford's going to be the one to to see Auburn and and see if they can take down Auburn's winning streak that's 59 games. That's um, number three in the state right now, all time behind Wahoo and, and uh, Philly uh, from back in the eighties and nineties. And um, you know, Jim Weeks, he, he, I don't think you can pick against him and uh, mm-hmm. Cam Binder uh, and Daniel Furry has become their inside main man this year. Um, I look for um, Auburn to um, uh, defeat Adam central, which, uh, lost to Kearney Catholic uh, just a few weeks ago, 39-36 at the end of the regular season. That was at Kearney Catholic, neutral floor. I'm going to go with Adam Central in the rematch. And my sleeper in this one is Concordia. Yeah, well, you know, you talk about the Mustangs, and, you know, they can pretty much play with anybody the way they shoot the ball. It just takes them getting hot in one game or maybe two or maybe three, and you could really see some damage done to a lot of people's brackets in c1 so a lot of interesting games to watch there and now you move to class b in what could be another really interesting somewhat deep field uh you've got norris and blair that's your 1v8 platteview and elkhorn is the 4v5 scott catholic and waverly is the two and the seven and then mount michael and beatrice is the three six i believe platteview elkhorn that's the third time those two teams have met this year connor milliken really really great sophomore name to watch in terms uh of recruiting really, uh, as we go into the next couple of years here in Nebraska. Your thoughts on the Class B field? Lots of Eastern Midlands Conference teams, past and present, Grant. You've, you've got four in the conference now, and Platteview just was in the conference for a long time, uh, went to the Capitol, and now uh, they're in the Trailblazer Conference with Beatrice. So you've got four from the EMC, you've got two from the new Trailblazer, and you've got two from the River Cities and Scott and Mount Michael. Uh, you know, the Tuesday games, uh, you know, Blair's kind of the Cinderella. They, they caught the break and went to Alliance. Uh, I like Norris in that one. 
Uh, Platteview Elkhorn, I think, is a toss-up. I My pick is Elkhorn uh, because they were at state last year in Class A. They, they've been under the PBA lights. Um, you know, Milliken is going to have to have a really good game against a solid 1-3-1 Elkhorn defense to um, advance. And then Scott has more firepower than Waverly. Waverly has really struggled to shoot the ball this year. But if they do, um, uh, they're playing defense almost as well as Scott. Um, could be a little upset chance there. Mount Michael and Beatrice, those Mount Michael kids, they've, they've played together for four years. I can't remember another team in mass starting the same five kids basically for four years on a class B level. You know, this is, you know, the, this is their sense of urgency time. Uh, when it's said done, I think Scott beats Norris in the, in a good final. It was a game that, uh, tried to get played during the year, or I'm sorry, that one did get played during the year and, and Scott won, uh, 66, uh, 58 at home. I, I think it was February 9th and the ups or the sleeper there, of course, is Platteview. If Connor Milliken gets hot, you know, the, the Trojans could just uh, race through the field. Well, let's move to Class A here, and this thing's going to be really uh, kind of intriguing. I think we both would probably agree that a Bellevue West Miller North third matchup of the year is probably what would be best for the NSAA if they were, say, something like the NFL where you need your ratings. Uh, but do you think anyone really can truly stand in the way of that matchup? Of course, Central being pulled from the field uh, after their upset loss certainly helps things. Uh, but does Pius or Prep stand in the way, or maybe a real Cinderella push from a Miller West, Lincoln East, or Papio South? You know, as I wrote this morning, Grant, on Monday, that um, I think that there's only three teams that can go the distance. There could be an upset in the first round, but I don't think that team is going to be able to get to the final. Uh, Miller, Miller North, Bellevue West, and Prep look to be the, the three standouts in this field. Yeah, I don't think you can count prep out of making the final uh, playing Bellevue West. Um, playing both times in, in prep's gym, uh, Bellevue West uh, won by seven and then went to overtime with, with prep. You know, uh, neutral floor, does that make a difference? If Bellevue West uh, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have that home court disadvantage? Hard to say. Prep is a very good defensive team. Um, they you know, things don't come easy for anybody that plays prep and they score by committee. I think Luke Jungers and um, AJ Rollins are going to have to have very good games against Bellevue West in the interior. And Justin city would have to uh, play a almost error free game, but it's possible. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the obvious favorite uh, favorites for the finals are Miller north and Bellevue West and you know I, I think Bellevue West gets it done again as I said for better defense more moxie and Chucky Hepburn is just the ultimate competitor uh you know he he last year I think he was 0 of 13 at one time in the state final and yet he gets a couple baskets late Josh or uh Josiah Dotzler got hunt in fourth quarter and Bellevue West makes that uh miraculous comeback against Miller North, you know, how will the Mustangs react and will they be looking ahead to the final and get tripped up somewhere along the road? I don't think so. 
I think they're determined, but I think Bellevue West just has a little bit more of what it takes. We'll see. It, it should be a great final. And the prep is the sleeper, obviously. Well, that game could be very, very well attended. If you want to push the capacity, uh, a final of Miller North and Bellevue West Part 3, uh, that that game could be something that there would be a lot, a lot, a lot of people at. I think if you if you look at this whole tournament, Stu, and, and you think about Championship Saturday and, and NET, the the game that people can't the class the final that people cannot miss is which one? Oh, I uh, Miller North and Bellevue West uh, would be tops. Norris got second, and GICC BRLD third. And then I think as you look at the whole tournament field, when it's all said and done, the best two individual performers for the entire tournament will be Hunter Salas and um, also um, Chucky Heffern. Those two together in the final is, is going to be something else. Both of them, I think, are going to play really well. Uh, at the collegiate level, and then hopefully uh, beyond as well. you got someone who's just so great offensively and so uh, just lengthy and, and quick. And then on the other hand, in Chucky Hepburn, you have someone who's just totally dominant on the defensive end. It doesn't really matter who he's defending. Uh, he's just going to work his butt off to defend physically without fouling, and it's probably his greatest talent. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Chucky's got 208 assists and, like, 95 steals and it um is just um you know he's going to be a very good player for wisconsin i think well thanks so much for joining husker sports weekly today Stu. i wish you good luck with a very long and it's gonna be a really fun week of basketball ahead lots of basketball out there for fans to enjoy as well as you can attend these games at pba this year you can find Stu on twitter at Stu owh for omaha world herald follow him there for all your updates throughout this week's tournament Make sure to not only listen to this episode of Husker Sports Weekly, but also last week's episode on Husker Baseball with uh, Evan Bland, another Omaha World Herald journalist, as well as this week's episode. We're featuring Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network as Connor and I preview the conference basketball tournament as well as talk fans in the Big Ten and what the future holds for the conference. Thank you so much for joining us. For Stu Pospisil, I'm Grant Hansen, and this has been Husker Sports Weekly.